Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Well, now for some pop music. Try this. You're listening to The Football Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. Hello and welcome to this year's first episode as we get stuck into all the football from around the Thames Valley and beyond. Joining me tonight are Sam Seppi and Will Taylor. I'm Ed Tolton, so strap yourselves in as we kick off Extra Time. This week we look at Reading's battle against relegation after they let a two-goal lead slip against Derby. Wickham Wanderers, meanwhile, are in the hunt for promotion. Our reporter Ben Green gives us his thoughts on the chairboys. And what exactly is going on at Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea? All that and more to come on tonight's episode of Extra Time. Yes, a warm welcome and a happy new year to you all, including the two gentlemen in front of me, one of whom is not, in fact, Sam Setti. In the equivalent of getting injured in the warm-up, Sam is now unavailable due to not feeling very well, and we're delighted to have him replaced by Mr. Mike Borton. Mike Borton and Will Taylor are panellists tonight. Gents, it's great to have you back in the studio after a short hiatus on our part. And though we're at the start of a new calendar year, the football season is, of course, well underway. Mike, I'll, I'll start with you as an Ipswich Town fan, former man. Manchester United coach Kieran McKenna, just one co- or one game from him since he's taken charge of you guys, and it was a win, in fact, over over Wickham Wanderers. Are you pleased with the appointment? Uh, I'm pleased with the manager, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. <laughs> it's just good to have one. I was holding out for Ollie uh, and anyone else out there. It's funny who the, the, you could look. Zidane, he looked an option. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, the thing is, as you can as you can sort of use an investment coming in from the far east, you could always buy a manager as well, couldn't you? That would be quite cool. Quite frankly, uh, it, it's a, such a. Uh, first of all, I'm delighted to be here, representing the alternate Liverpool view, so that we don't <laughs> we don't go red for the whole program. And blue is the colour. Um, it's uh, yeah, yeah. I just, I just. It's such a foreign place to be. We're in the first division. A few seasons ago, we were, we were battling for Europe in the Premier, and it seems seems very strange to be there. So we need consistency. We've not uh, had. Uh, that's disparaging really some of our managers have not been perhaps as committed as we wanted them to be and perhaps the wrong choice um you know Norwich managers what's going on there for heaven's sake (laughs) (laughs) I I went through I went through years of vandalism and terrorism violence from Norwich supporters as an Ipswich Town supporter only to have that please Well, there we go. Will, on the other hand, your team, of course, talking United. We we spoke on the phone the other day, and you were genuinely overjoyed following your side's last minute win over Yeovil Town. Currently sat thirteenth in the National League. Outside bet for the playoffs, do you think, or is that maybe a bridge too far? Stranger things have happened, Ed. That's all I will say. That's how I'll start by saying. And no, I mean, when when I spoke to you on the phone, I think uh, emotions were running high from a last minute winner. They always do on calls, they do. Yeah, Yeah. emotions always run high on calls with Ed. That's uh, that's very true. But no, it was it was um, a lot of emotion with the last minute winner, especially against. I I could I can't even really call them local rivals in Yeovil because it's about a hundred miles up the road, but it's about as local as you get down in the West Country. It really is. 
Um, and also for, for the duration of the game, Yeovil fancy and Torquay get battered everywhere they go for us to then score in the last minute made it that little bit sweeter as well. So it was a it was a very, very entertaining game of football. Um, why not the playoffs? That's all I'll say. We did it last year, got robbed of a place in the Football League. So got to put it right, I suppose, haven't we? Well, of course you have. And I, I can't not mention the fact that you've come wearing the colours uh, well, tonight got to. as well. Got to. Uh, not the bright yellow, for those of you who are familiar with, with Talkie's colours. He's gone for the sort of the more relaxed training wear. Uh, I can only presume you're doing a catalogue shoot just after this for, for this for this coming year. The thing is that it's not fancy. out of the realm of possibility to bump into people. And if they say, do you play for Talkie? you can answer yes because they don't know who plays for them so you just never know I, I stick you know why not I never I never given that any consideration <laughs> can I borrow that after <laughs> after I'm going to just hop in the car on the way back feeling, feeling like a king. Anyway, look, as introductions have showed, the beautiful game always gives us something to talk about. And that's most certainly the case when it comes to our constituent clubs. We begin tonight's show with Reading, who are in the thick of a relegation battle in the championship. The Royals are 21st in the league, just three points above the drop zone following a 2-2 draw with Wayne Rooney's Derby County, which saw them concede twice in the final five minutes. We'll, we'll start with you. How hard will it have been to have taken that result when you were so close to getting all three points? I think obviously they hadn't played in a while had they before that as well which I think certainly it, it, it makes it even harder that you think there's a lot of premonitions when it comes to teams like that that they you just assume that they're going to come back fresh and that's not often not the case. Match sharpness is something that's so overlooked in football and it certainly will have been overlooked in Reading's case. They weren't doing awfully before that either it's worth remembering. There was a lot of young players coming through making an impact. They obviously had that win over Swansea which was brilliant. They seemed to doing well under Russell Martin so I think I think there were certainly moments of brightness that looked like it was it was going to be better so to then lose all the games of football that were behind them not ideal and then you know teams are getting points on the board and you, you always take points on the board above games in hand always it's an unwritten rule in football so to then be 2-0 up against a team who are in a false position I think it's fair to say without the point deductions they'd be in and around the playoffs that's that's the job that Wayne Rooney's doing and it's never hard to, it's never easy to play a team like that sorry is it because they're, they're they're a free hit that's how teams see them and they've got they've got nothing nothing to prove really they're just there to it sort of feels like they're there to make up the numbers but that's certainly not the case with Wayne Rooney's Derby team they're there to, to prove themselves and, and make a fight of it so to be 2-0 up I think is one thing and that it's, it's the most dangerous scoreline in football famously isn't it but you've still got to see out of leading in the last five minutes it didn't even cross my mind that Derby would come back into the game so to lose it as to, to oh, well it feels like a loss but lose the lead as they did I think will, will, will sting massively especially for Paunovic and, and, and all the players around it really I mean don't get me wrong it's a good team in Derby it's not a team that deserves to be bottom of the league but it will it will sting throwing that away and and it's, it's the, the hardest thing I think for Reading will actually be that they're maybe in a bit of a false position as well but the results they have been getting recently and they will be getting forward are sort you know sucking them into that relegation battle a little bit well, you mentioned it there that they, they hadn't played for some time. It was, in fact, December the 11th they had last played a game really? of football. And, and because they'd had cancellations, oh. so Millwall, for oh. example, that game was cancelled due to COVID. That is a long time. And it's one of those ones where, yes, they will have trained, of course they will, but you have to question whether or not something like match fitness would be an issue when you you've know, not it, played a game. It actually is a really game. good example. You know, it's an, an argument. So, look, hang on, you're keeping fit, you're keeping training. It's just a game of football. You can go in. But, of course, it makes such a massive difference. And the money Involved in it as well is so silly that it's 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 huge going down to League One as you as you'll know with Ipswich it's 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 so easy to go down a lot harder to come back it up. It makes the season tickets cheaper. It, yes. <laughs> 
But, it's, but the, away, the away games aren't quite so enthralling. No, I can't imagine that. I mean, you mentioned it there as well, Will. The Derby are, are to some extent, in a, in a false position. But as you say, when you're five minutes away with two goals in hand, you, you'd have to want to want to see that through. Uh, we've talked about it just for a second there, that the difficulties of going down. I mean, Mike, you, you support a League One club. Sunderland, I was doing some research before the show, Sunderland went down from the Premier League in 2016-17, finished bottom of the Premier League. The next year, they finished bottom of the Championship. This is the fourth year that Sunderland have been in League One and currently under Lee Johnson, they're second in the league. But a club of that size, the stadium seats 50,000. Yeah, the thing is, you said something there, I support a League One side. I don't support a League One side. I support Ipswich Town. I don't have any choice in the matter. It's, 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 no, I've, I've gone through iterations of Chelsea, Bristol Rovers, and then finally settled on Ipswich. And at the time, it seemed like a good bet. Uh, and, and I have no choice but to stay with them. It does seem wrong. And you're quite right. You look around you and there are teams there that if you followed football throughout your life, as, as as many of us have, that you just wouldn't expect to be there. But, you know, Preston North End, you know, mm. you, you go back to the beginning of football in the UK and there are teams which are, are, are long since out because of the investment of money. There's no money. And I, that was one of the more remarkable things about how long a club like Ipswich managed to stay near the top on the grounds of great, great support and sound investment and in youth team policy that just kept them staying there They at the time. Not like Sunderland. Sunderland are oh, a big club. And they and why? I have no idea. <laughs> and it shouldn't it shouldn't it shouldn't work out and that for any length of time, but it is at the moment. A derby, you know, you know, I, I was going to do a Brian Clough impersonation, but I won't. <laughs> but Derby, you know, they were a tough, tough first division when the first division was the first division and not a made up name of something else. <laughs> um, you know, to have them down where they are now, it's just... And it's happened to a few clubs, isn't it? And that's why it's got to be such a, a worry for Reading, because I can recall Reading being yeah. in what was the third tier and yeah. they got into you know, what is now the championship and have been there. They've been in the Premier League as well. But actually, if you start to look at the scattering of clubs, even below League Two, because you've got Bolton, um, who have come up but have been down at, at League at League Two level, sorry, uh, League One, of course, Ipswich. Um, you've also got Blackpool. It, it does happen. Will, how much of a worry would it would it be to Reading if they were to go down? Yeah, it's, it's one of those things, isn't it, where it's it's easy, it's like I said a minute ago, it's so easy to slip out of, but it's so, so hard to get out. So Sorry, so easy to slip into, but so, so hard to get out of. I think it's one of those things as well with the, fi- with the financial constraints that they're going to find them having. You only, you only have to look at Sunderland. You can't just throw money at it. It doesn't work like that. Even Ipswich side to it, to, to an extent is is built with, we, we've had this conversation before when Ipswich have played Wickham. There's a lot of solid, good championship sort of level players there, but it's so much more than that. You look at the year, Wickham went up it wasn't ever about a star-studded team full of incredible players they are albeit now very very good players and they were at the time perhaps we didn't realise as much but they, they went up through a team spirit a good manager and solid foundations as a club it's not all about here's a checkbook go and win League One because it, I, I'm convinced that of the lot is probably the hardest to get out of I know a lot of people say the Championship you do not see many teams who go back, go down go straight back up into the Championship for Reading it, it will be a real worry and the issue is is that the home support is is very solid in, in terms of the core group that go but there are fans that do come and go with Reading and you feel like that would really, really sort of fluctuate if they did go down to League One. Is there many Reading fans that are genuinely going to get up, get up out of bed in the morning to go and watch more come at home? 
I don't know. As loyal as they are, it's a, it's a harder task for any football fan, isn't it? So it's it's a tough one. It's it's something they I don't even think they want to fathom. And you look at even just the calendar year that's just been that's just been like you said they're fighting for the playoffs towards the end of last season. It fell off a little bit, admittedly. But you know, this, if, if you'd have said a year ago Reading would be near the relegation zone, a Reading fan would have laughed in your face and said, "What do you mean we're more likely to be in the Premier League?" So it's it's inconceivable. And I think that the big problem is that. Reading fans seem to be fairly content with the ownership, even though that there is slight overspending. The manager doesn't seem to be under a huge amount of pressure because it's not really his fault. The players there seem to be good enough. It's just one of those situations where, by virtue of the fact that the, the, the deduction has come when it did, when they were going okay, and that, albeit not sort of fighting for the playoffs, that they are now being sucked into a relegation battle. And with the, like you said, the amount of cancellations, the fixtures are going to, going to be coming thick and fast now. And a couple of bad results, they could easily, easily find themselves caught up in that, I think. Well, I think Pavlovich, the manager, can justifiably bemoan his luck. I mean, Reading lost £93 million in the three years prior, that's, which is why they were under the embargo. Which exactly, as you say, has is, anyone seen, no. is quite careless management nonetheless. But as you say, has anyone seen my ninety three million pounds? Yeah. Um obviously they've now operated with a very small squad as well and they've had injuries, which mm. you really have to avoid if you are going to have such a small squad. Even in terms of, of transfers, they've had their points deduction, but also they've been under a transfer embargo, which means some of the players they might have looked to sign, they wouldn't have been able to when they've had to make do with free transfers. They signed Scott Down from my side, Crystal Palace. He's barely played a game for about two years. Andy Carroll's now now there on, on what I understand to be a very, very low amount for a footballer, certainly of his profile. I even saw the other day in the game against Derby, Bubba Rahman was playing. Bubba mm. Rahman still contracted to Chelsea, which is absolutely baffling. Um, but it's certainly worrying times for them. That there can be no doubt about that. I mean, Mike, when you hear of a club losing £93 million in three years, do you, do you look at it to some extent and wonder whether or not really you've got no one to blame but yourselves if you are that club? I think there's two aspects to it. First of all, if you look at, look at the football structure as a neutral, you can argue lots and lots of pluses and minuses. It makes it very varied, the fact you've got someone, a team like that, and then you've got someone like uh, Brentford and Bournemouth, in the, uh, sorry, Brentford and Brighton in, in, the, yeah. in, the, in the Premier Division and other teams like that. Yes, uh, and one of the things I loved, and again, I go back to Ipswich, when uh, Ipswich Town were doing very well, they were very, very astute with how they spent their money. Money has taken a, a, a ridiculous uh, precedent in terms of the impact it has. And, and if every team was owned by an expensive, well-paid um, Middle Eastern company or whatever, then it would all balance out. But um, to, to squander that sort of money, and, and that's, that's, that's the way it is, and it is, it is ridiculous when you balance it against what the average person takes in mm. um, and how much they spend on players that never end up playing. I'm it's like staggered. monopoly money, isn't it? Like yeah. The way they use it, it really you know, the, the, all, all if it, and I just leap out, out of the area to Manchester United and they bought Sancho, and, and quite frankly, they haven't played him as much as they could have done in terms of value for money. How much does it cost <laughs> to play him for every game in terms of what they paid for him? And it's just staggering. Staggering. Well, following the disappointment of that draw with Derby, the Royals hope to get back to winning ways against Kidderminster in the third round of the FA Cup on Saturday before returning to league action against third-place Fulham at the Select Car Leasing Stadium on Tuesday night. Up next, though, we're shifting from Berkshire to Buckinghamshire as Wickham Wanderers keep up their pursuit of an instant return to the Championship. The Football Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. 
Yes, Gareth Ainsworth, Chairboys defied the odds when they won promotion in the English football, or rather two English football's second tier for the first time in their history last season. A difficult start saw them win just two of their opening 21 matches, but a stunning fight back meant that they came within a point of staying up. Now they're back in the hunt for promotion again and a fourth in League One following a win at Charlton. I caught up with our Wiccan Wanderers correspondent Ben Green and I started by asking him how important it was to get that win at the Valley. Yeah, I mean, on paper, it's a great win, Ed. Um, the performance left a little bit to be desired, I felt. In the first half, I thought Wickham looked a little bit off the pace. But as they grew into the game, they got the first goal. And really, in the second half, Charlton just didn't really seem to have the quality other teams maybe in the top half have had against us. And ultimately, we, we, we rode out the, the victory comfortably, I felt. Well, the goal scorer on the day was Sam Vokes, wasn't it? Who was seen very much as the marquee signing of the summer. How would you appraise his performance since he's come in? Has he delivered what you expected? Yeah, I think he has and more. Um, When he came in at the start of the season, I know a lot of Stoke fans were saying, you know, this guy's terrible, he's over the hill. But um, no, I've, I've been really impressed with him. He brings players into play. He does what a Wickham striker needs to do, which is hold the ball up well give it to the players that have got a bit more pace to run down the line. And, and look, he's got seven goals in the league. If he ends the season with over double figures, I think Sam Vokes has done his job. So with possible acquisitions coming in January, you know, that may may help him out a little bit and take some of the pressure off his shoulders. No, I think he's been brilliant. And um, I think he's proven his quality. He's almost grown into the season. Where at the start, he looked a little bit off the pace. But I've been really impressed with him for sort of from October onwards. He's been He's been really good. Well, as mentioned, he got the winner at the Valley. And as well as it being a good start to the new year, I just want to reflect on 2021 as a calendar year as well, because it was a topsy-turvy one, wasn't it? How do you look back on it all? I think it's been a really positive 12 months. I mean, I know I know Wickham have got relegated in those 12 months, but really, if you look at it, there's been a lot, a lot of wins on the pitch, um, good success off the pitch. Wickham made a healthy profit uh, last season, even though they went down, which was, you know, when I saw that a couple of weeks ago, I thought, wow, to make a profit whilst getting relegated, you know, that puts us in good stead. So, yeah, it was disappointing getting relegated, but I think every Wickham fan felt that that championship season could go that way. I think what we were proud about was how we fought to the end of the season. And, and from January to May, Wickham won so many games compared to the previous half of the season. I think the last 10 games won seven. They won 3 0 in the end of the, the last game of the season. So I was really proud of the team. And I think, I think every Wickham fan was. And, and going into this season, it's kind of carried on that good feeling around the club. There were some good uh, acquisitions in the summer. And it's carried on. I said to you at the start of the season, if we get to Christmas and we're in those top six, I'd be pretty happy. And we are. So on the whole, I'm, I'm really happy with, with how the year's gone for Wickham. Looking ahead to the rest of the season then, the club are currently sat comfortably in a playoff spot. Players like Sam Folks and Gareth McCleary, of course, have been big factors in that. Indeed, the shoulder injury picked up by McCleary earlier in the season did coincide with a dip in form for the team. Can you see money being spent in January to bolster the squad ahead of the climax to this campaign? Yeah, I think additions do need to come in. I think if you look at Wickham's start in 11, it's a really competitive start in 11 compared to any other team in the league. However, if, like you said, uh, Gareth McCleary, Sam Vokes, and the likes of Tafazoli and Stewart at the back, they get injured. There's some real gaps there. And I think we've seen that. You, you know, you touched on the, the sort of wobble they had just before Christmas where, yeah, McCleary had a shoulder injury. Um, Vokes looked like he was feeling the pace of playing every game. Looking at that... If we're going to compete for the second half of the season, Wickham do need to bring some players in. You know, at least three or four real first-team quality players. We're not talking 
reserve players or players that are coming from academies. We're, we're talking real first-team quality players that can come in and compete with the current starting eleven for, for places. Yes, that's always important, isn't it? Having that sense as a player that if you don't perform, someone else might take your spot. It was an up and down December for the club, wasn't it? A win, a draw, and then finally a loss to Ipswich in that order. How likely is that to play a part in Gareth Ainsworth's thinking coming up to this window? Yeah, I think December showed us a lot. And going into that month, I think many Wickham fans felt the same. Like you said, we started with the positive win against Bolton, but... Look, losing a couple of those games to COVID really didn't help, especially the Cambridge game. I think that showed against Ipswich. Uh, and I'm, I'm certain he looked at those and felt, if we're going to be losing to teams like that, maybe we do need two or three in January to boost boost the squad. You mentioned earlier that the club managed to turn over a profit last season. What kind of approach can we expect them to take with regards to finances? Now there is an opportunity to bring players in once more. Wickham, to me, that they're not a big fish they're more of like a medium fish, if you can call them now in League One, where, you know, they, they aren't punching above their weight, but at the same time, they haven't got the same amount of funds. I'm, I'm hearing Sunderland are getting Patrick Roberts from, from Man- Manchester City. I mean, how much are they spending on him? I don't think Wickham can quite afford that, but what they can afford, uh, I, I wholeheartedly believe is, for example, Uchek Piazzu. It hasn't really worked out for him at Middlesbrough. For example, someone like him would, would make a massive difference up front. I don't think you're going to see Wickham spending half a million, million pounds on players. But what they will be able to do with the likes of, um, you know, you saw in the summer, like Sam Vokes, free transfer, big wages. And I think that's something that Ainsworth might be looking at, players that necessarily running out to the end of their contracts or looking for a way out, but we can offer them good wages. And I think that's, that's the way we're going to go about it. Well, it's an established blueprint, of course, and has been used effectively by a number of other clubs over the years as well. On the horizon, then, it's a big one. Sunderland, you just mentioned, of course, second in the league, coming to Adams Park, live on Sky Sports. How important do you see this game being for the Chairboys' season as a whole? I think it's huge. I think this is one of the most important games of Wickham season. If you look at the league table, Sunderland, I think, are four points ahead. If Wickham can close that gap on the weekend, suddenly we look like we're back into the top two or at least closing the gap. If Sunderland win, that top two does look a little bit far away because you've got Rotherham on 50 points. Uh, I think Wigan have played three games less and are on the same amount of points as us. So if they win those games in hand, we're nine points off them. Um, so yeah, it's a massive game. Sunderland are in great form. And they, you know, they beat Sheffield Wednesday 5-0 on Tuesday. And I, I saw that result and kind of thought, oh, great, here we go. But no, I, I think, uh, to be honest, I think Wickham need to win. Will they win? I'm not so sure. I, I, you know, if I'm being truly level-headed and honest, I think a draw is probably what we're going to get at the moment. Sunderland do look a level above. And after, what is it, two, three years of being in League One, they're finally showing what they should have been showing uh, two, three years ago when we were playing them. So it's going to be a tough game. If we can get at the first goal, who knows? Is it almost one of those games where it would be great to win it, but the more important thing is not to lose it? Yeah, I think that is how we're going to play it, Ed. I really do. Because if, like you said, if we, if we lose the game, those top two places look too far away. That would mean we'd have to win four or five on the bounce. Uh, and we've only done that, you know, I think once this season. So, yeah, I think they're going to set up defensively. With, as, as with every Wickham game, if Wickham score first, that's the important part. If Wickham concede first, a lot of the time we can struggle. I know we've seen some great performances this year where we've turned it around, but Sunderland are a different level to the likes of Morecambe. And if they get two ahead, I don't think we're getting back in the game. So, so yeah, like you said, if, if we, you know, a, a win is ideal. 
it closes the gap. If we draw, it keeps it the same. And who knows, Sunderland may slip up. And if you get a point, you keep the gap the same. Who knows, in a month's time, we might be, may have swapped places. And beyond the coming encounter, it is, after all, just one fixture of a 46-game season. So nothing will be decided irrespective of that result. Are there any other sides you feel it will be important for you to beat in order to stay in that promotion mix? Yeah, I think if you're looking at the games that have been cancelled, Tuesday night games have often been Wickham's weakness. We've got a really tough one, Bolton away, which I think could be could be quite hard. And if you're looking at other ones, I think Portsmouth away is always a very hard place to go. They're obviously fighting for the playoffs as well. A defeat there could, could really hinder us. And if you look at the end of the season, I think we've got Sheffield Wednesday at home, either the second to last or last game. So... That could be absolutely pivotal. Sheffield Wednesday, obviously, you know, they're still fighting for those places. And when we played them, I thought they were quite impressive. So, yeah, there's at least four or five games that I think Wickham can't lose. Like you said with Sunderland, they just can't lose. It doesn't matter if they don't win, but just just don't get beat in those games. And just finally, Wickham, well in the hunt for an immediate return to the Championship. Do you think they can see it through? Yeah, well, you know, I said at the start of the season, if Wickham get in the playoffs, that'd be a good season. And if you look at... Where we are, 45 points. You know, yes, we've played some games more than Wigan, but, you know, we've got the points and that's the main thing that matters. The problem is, is that everyone else is going to be feeling the same thing, that they can also get those places. We've just got to make sure that we don't let our form slip. And, and I think keeping everyone fit, maybe getting some players, in, you know, in this window could make the difference. If you look at our promotion winning season, I know it was curtailed early, but... I think Wickham have got more points now than they did at that stage two years ago. So I've always said if Wickham got promoted with the side they had two years ago, there's no reason this this side can't get promoted. I think they're levels and levels above that team. Um, so now I've got full faith that we can get the playoffs. The top two still, for me, is a bit of a push. I, re- I really do feel that. I think there's teams with more money, bigger squads that are just slightly better equipped for the running. But, but who knows? Maybe we'll win the title. Who knows? Well, we pride ourselves on being objective here at Extra Time, but suffice to say our fingers are quietly crossed for Wickham Wanderers when it comes to the rest of the season. Ben, it's been great to speak to you. Thanks very much. No, thanks, Ed. Cheers. Ben Green there, our Wickham correspondent, and certainly plenty to be pleased about for the chair boys as they continue their push for promotion. Mike, how much do you think it would mean to fans to be able to watch Wickham in the Championship? Because, of course, they achieved that feat last season, getting into the highest league they've ever been in, and no fans went through the gate throughout the duration of the season. It's the same for all of this. And, and uh, you know, um, I'm just leaping out, of, leaping out of sport briefly just to do a comparison. And Wales are talking about playing some of their matches in England purely because of the impact uh, of lack of crowd. And you saw that, uh, you've seen that in matches take, for example, um, Brentford. Their crowd has a huge impact on how they perform. So, of course, you've got Wickham fans uh, in there, in the stadium, and it makes a huge difference. And what a, what a fill-up for the, for the region to have Wickham back in the Championship. It'd just be Amazing. Incredible. Well, it'd be fantastic, wouldn't it? And Will, it's all speculation now, of course, but Mike makes a a really good point about Brentford. And and I would make the same point, actually, about a team like Sheffield United in the Premier League. Yeah. With no fans at Bramall Lane, all of a sudden they became a completely different proposition. Now, clearly, there were other allegations that were levelled against Chris Wilder, that people had sussed out his style, they hadn't differentiated, Mm. they hadn't brought in the quality. But just kind of entertain this for a second and (laughs) humour me, as it were. (laughs) 
Wickham got relegated by one point in the championship. Now, I think they won five games out of their last eight, having won, as I said, two of their first 21. Do you think a crowd at Adams Park could have seen them stay up? Well, first of all, just on that first point you made, I think Ben Ben won't particularly be happy with me for saying this, but let's, let's, be, let's be fair about it. That one point away was a bit of a... I know that it got to the last day, but in everyone's mind, they were pretty much down in the December. And that's nothing against them. They did a great, it was a great, great thing to stay up, but it's not like they were nearly there all season. It was a, it was a late run, a late surge. It was a little bit too late. So I, I don't know how much can be read into that little charge at the end, because I think it was just a bit of a nothing to lose. Let's go for it. And had that come, you know, why did that come five games earlier would be my initial point with that. However, the fans will make 100% make difference. I think they were there socially distanced for maybe one or two games in the championship. And you can't even really call it having fans watched it when you're having to be stood two feet apart on the terrace wearing masks and barely even allowed to chant or clap. I don't think that's a, a fair comparison. Wickham fans are, are renowned for, I mean, a couple of times, even just relating it to Torquay, they've come down. They, they stayed up on the last day of the season against us and the noise they made was incredible. It's not something I expected of a, of a crowd from, from Wickham, but it was absolutely super. But I think, I think it'll make all the difference. I think in those, you look at those games, there are a few games they lost in that championship season that weren't, you know, not all of them were complete whitewashes, which I think a lot of people expected them to be. And those games that they did lose 1-0 or 2-1 or, or t- the other team scored in the last minute, it's a bit like the famous cop atmosphere, isn't it? That they suck in a goal or they defend the goal or something like that. And I think that's, that rings true with pretty much every team across English football is that like, like we're, we're a group of fans that are so, in, in England generally, you'll, you go to any other country in the world, you'll never see a group of fans cheer a corner. Or a tackle, I promise you. Then no other fans <laughs> will do it. But here, it's just something that every time it happens. Um, so I, I think I think it can make all the difference. And uh, do you know what they? more so than the fans I think the biggest thing is they, they genuinely have learned from their mistakes and the way they are in the in even in League One this season is completely different to how they were when they went up when they went up it was a surge to the top of the table a ridiculous first half of the season form that, le- that left them top the form dipped off the very controversial points per game sort of got them in the bluffs they still won the playoffs fair enough but it was con- controversial sort of how it came about certainly for Peterborough I know weren't very happy about it but I think they just seem well drilled now. There's a bad run, but then there's a good result to pick it up a few weeks later. It's it's a, it's a well drilled, a well oiled machine, Wickham. And I think if they're going to get into the championship, there's no reason they can't become a mainstay there. Well, I mean, just to hit you with some some statistics. I mean, Adams Park holds less than ten thousand. There were seven thousand plus at the game against Ipswich, which was Wickham, incidentally, probably their worst performance of the season numerically. <laughs> they lost it four one. But uh, if you consider the idea, do you think, you know, the champions, the difference between League One and the championship is, is worth 2,000 fans? I'd argue that it probably was. Like you say, and I've seen it with my own club, Crystal Palace, you know, a lot of fair weather fans. I was going to Crystal Palace and we were sort of, you know, nicking a 1-0 at home to Walsall at the tail end of the championship and we got 13,000. Now it's full every week, 26,000. And granted, we've been in the Premier League a long time, but we went up for one season and it was full every week. When you signed yourself thinking, where are these other 12,000 fans come from? So therein lies the thing. Football can be a bit of a fickle business, but I absolutely do think it would have would have made a difference to Wickham. Whether it would have been a positive difference the whole time, or perhaps the pressure would have got the better with them at times. But as I say, it's pure speculation. We will, of course, never know. But as I mentioned during the chat with Ben, we do try and be objective here at Extra Time. But uh, suffice to say, we wish Wickham the best of luck and their fans as well. But now it's back to Berkshire as we check in quickly with non-league Maidenhead. Windsor, Windsor, Ascot, Ascot Maidenhead, Maidenhead, Bracknell, Bracknell Wokingham, Wokingham, Henley, Henley Reading. Reading. Okay. Ta-da! 
The Voice. River Radio. Of the Thames Valley. The Football Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. Welcome back. You're listening to Extra Time on River Radio. Remember, if you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet using at River Radio Live or send us an email to studio at river.radio. And we're now talking Maidenhead, who were on a difficult run when we last caught up with them. A 7-4 defeat to Halifax sent them spiralling out of the FA Cup and poor league form had them locked in a relegation battle. Will, you've got the latest. Tell us what's going on. Yeah, so comprehensive losses in December over Dag- against Dagenham, Borenwood, Bonnet and Solihull, all by three goals or more as well there was a point in there in the middle of it all against Southend but that meant that things looked a little bit bleak for Maidenhead the fixture disruption due to Covid though has meant Alan Devonshire's side have played just once since Christmas a game which sorry a game which saw them claim a shock winner over High Flyers Bromley on the 28th with a positive end to 2021 the Pies will now try to set about to rectify their league position as we approach the business end of the season this Saturday they face Oldershot at the Ebb Stadium in Hampshire in a bid to climb above 19th place for the first time since November. With several games in hand against those above them, the next few months remain vital for Maidenhead to kick on away from the relegation zone. There is a bit of, a bit, a bit of other Magpies news as well. Former goal-scoring sensation Danilo Orsi has returned to the division as well as he joined Borenwood on loan from Harrogate. Well, that is interesting. I, I also know they let Reese love it, the reserve goalkeeper, go because they've got another goalkeeper from mm. Peterborough on loan. Looking at this season as it is, and Danilo Orsi, his name has been mentioned in this studio a fair number of times lovely chap we managed to interview him before Friend. he did move to yeah I think that's a push isn't it probably from his side more than yours um, but uh, but we did manage to interview him before he moved to Harrogate Town back in the division he scored 19 goals last season for Maidenhead who are one of only three part-time teams in the entire National League so in that regard the odds were always stacked against them uh, do you think the season is really based on where they are just about staying up now yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it is just about. The, the, I think the frustrating thing is having seen them a couple of times this season, both w- once with Torquay, which was a ridiculous game, 4 0 up at half time, and then somehow we, we almost looked like throwing it away in the 90th minute. Luckily, we win it 4 3, unluckily for Maidenhead. But even then, the character was there. But the, the one that sticks in the memory is obviously the Wrexham game that I went to when Ryan Reynolds turned up and I looked looked a few rows to my side. And Friend? Yeah, I, I, well, I think more from his side than mine, to be honest. But, you know, what <laughs> That's can you say? That's understandable. Yeah. 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 <laughs> He's that sort of a guy. He's the yeah. Americans, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Sort of the, um, but no, no, in all seriousness, so that that was. But the the spirit they showed that day was unbelievable. They were they were losing twice, and and Wrexham. I mean, you compared the side. If you compared the sides, money. I don't know the exact stats, but you're looking at three, four, five times the budget Wrexham have compared to Maidenhead, and they genuinely deserved the three points that day. And I, I walked away from York Road that day thinking there is something seriously good going on here this could absolutely kickstart the season I think I said that phrase about eight times in the studio after that game because I really <laughs> thought that was the that was the the catalyst the catalyst for, for an incredible start to the season but it just didn't happen like that and, and what I was particularly disappointed with was ha- the results that they did get after that like I said you know you're boring words Barnet especially losing so comprehensively to them Solihull not a particularly great team so to, to, to not to just lose to them but to lose as they did in the manner they did is not typical of an Alan Devonshire side and that's what worried me the most in that even the years where you know they haven't done as well in the National League with Dev there 
it's they've still never never really succumbed to games like that not massively but all of a sudden they it was like something felt a little bit different that win against Bromley I stuck my neck out on the line at Wrexham I'll do it again I genuinely think that could be a massive win in terms of the season because to, to beat a team like that who are such a hardened hardened side who again are probably not too different in size to Maidenhead but a side that's just so 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 well run from the top like yeah, Maidenhead he's done, a, he's done a great job hasn't he he's Andy yeah. Woodman in charge and, there Andy, and he's been you fantastic know, and exactly they, they, they've lost a manager they've brought a better manager in they, they, it's a very very well oiled outfit in Bromley so to beat them 1-0 is one thing um, but you know I, I think to keep a clean sheet is just a completely different beast against a team like that who Michael Cheek just scores about 30 goals every season and no one can get near him every single year so I, 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 it's 100% about staying up for them that's that's the main thing and I, I can't imagine many players will be happy with that but I think that's sort of the, they've, they've they flat to deceive a little bit over the last sort of two or three years where they've been flirting with the playoffs and you're thinking could they surely Maidenhead couldn't get to the football league could they you know just like we saw with Sutton last year I think Barrow as well Barrow, when they went yeah, up they course. were a part time <clears throat> side training three times a week and mm. the first game of the season they beat Oxford United 3-0 yeah um, which paved the way for a lot of problems at mm-hmm. Oxford that ultimately saw them get relegated. Absolutely right. So yeah, it's it's one of those where as I think I think this is a bit of a the the effect of COVID sort of coming to fruition a little bit. The players being less readily available to take part time contracts and try and find jobs on the side. The security of jobs has really been amplified over the last sort of eighteen to twenty four months. I think so. It's it's been it's harder than ever for them, but they, I, I'm confident they will stay up. It's about staying up, and why not rebuild next year? But th- this is Maidenhead's level. Let's be clear. They're, they're not. They don't deserve to be below this, but I, I don't quite think they deserve to be above it either. So stay in the division, consolidate. You never know what can happen in a few years, but yeah, just just stay in the division this year. I think. Well, we certainly wish them all the best when they do head to Aldershot on Saturday. Meanwhile, it's time to cast our net a little bit wider as we look at this week's national football news. And there's only one place to start. Really, the hot topic on everyone's lips seems to have been Romelu Lukaku. His recent interview with Sky Italia, of course, appeared to criticise the tactics of Thomas Tuchel, the Chelsea manager and suggested he wished to return to Inter Milan while still in his prime. Will caught up with Louis Beneventi, the Chelsea Echo uh, editor, and uh, he began by asking him his thoughts on Lukaku's words. So the, the first time I saw it, I saw all the, the rumblings on Twitter. So it was, it was Fabrizio Romano who came out and obviously said all the quotes. And uh, as, as you can tell by the way I said his name, I can speak the language. So I was there a bit like, right, okay. Those quotes look a little bit out of context. So me and my dad, we sat down and right, let's watch this together. <laughs> Just figure it out. And the first half, we were like, okay, it's not that bad. He's, he's, he's played off as, you know, he, he, he misses how he left the Inter fans. You know, he, he'd love to go back there one day. You know, bloody, bloody, blah. That's fine. I, I, I couldn't care less about that. I was there like, do you know what? Fair enough. You've had a great time there. If you want to go back and fulfil stuff, completely understand that. Don't agree. The thing which did me in was how he went about doing it. He went behind his agent's back and the club's back. So already then I was like, as much as I don't mind what he said, that's, there's, there's, a, there's a little bit of an issue I have with that there. So I thought, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it. Let's listen to the rest of the interview. And he went, yeah, you know, Chelsea's not on the highest level. You know, there are clubs like Bayern Munich and, and Real Madrid and Barcelona, which are just much bigger clubs than Chelsea. And I was sat there going, right, only one of those right now I can actually sit and go, yeah, fair enough. Sure, all three of those clubs are massively prestigious and always will be. And they are, you know, bigger clubs on paper. However, right now, Barcelona and uh, Real Madrid just aren't the same level that they were. So, now, if he turned around and went, I'm going to go to Bayern Munich, I'd be like, yeah, fair enough, don't blame me, mate. But outside of that, I was like, right, okay, shouldn't have said that. That's not great. 
And then all the other stuff started rolling out. And at first, when I said, you know, I think it might be a mistake to drop him, uh, considering we were already bare bones at that point, I was sat there going, oh, God. This <laughs> is straight away thinking, oh, no, this is an absolute nightmare. What is going on here? And then apparently he refused to apologise. So I was sitting there going, oh, great. That works out even better. And then, and then, after all of that, he sits there and he does this apology, which is just PR dribble. He may as well have turned around and said, guys, I'm really, really, really sorry. What else should I say? Sorry, just turning across to the guy who does the PR for Chelsea. Sorry, yeah, 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 yeah. The fans, I'm really, really sorry. It's like, why? Why? Like, just, I, I, for me, look, it's done now. Lions are under it. If, if Thomas Sleeple's dealt with it and the club's dealt with it, cool. Lions are under it. But, Actions speak louder than words, and time is always a healer. If he really is all about what he says, he needs to put his ego aside and start banging in 20 goals a season. Because he's only scored two goals in the league this year, really. Three or maybe three or four, sorry. But you know, he's he's, he's not he's only scored two since September. So if, if we're gonna sit here and, and you know talk about Romulo Lukaku and what he's like and what he's done, you know, for me, he he caused a completely unnecessary storm. Look, I thought the game was great against Liverpool on the weekend. We look, and to be honest, this season, we look better without him, apart from the last couple of games against Brighton and Aston Villa. I, I, I just personally feel that, you know, uh, Romelu Lukaku needs to put himself in check, you know. He needs to stop turning around and saying, you know, yeah, me, me and the manager will discuss tactics. Like, Who are you? Like, Sorry, like, what's going on here? It's, there's the, there's, he needs to start buckling down and, and valuing up, living up to that £100 million value. Because personally, if I was in Chelsea's shoes, if an offer came in of 75, which is obviously a loss, but still, you know, he's one of the best strikers in the world still on paper. Um, I'd take it and I'd run. Because then that £75 million is a release clause that pay for the best young striker in world football. And his name's Erling Haaland and he's available now. As fans though, Louis, do you not sort of feel like you deserve a little bit more respect from one of your players? I mean, let's 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 be real. You know, as, as much as from a fan's perspective, we'd love to sit there. And look, this is this is a guy who used to run one of the largest fan channels on the planet. Fan culture is fantastic. And, you know, I, I, I love every bit of it. And obviously I'm very, very integrated in it. But then sometimes you have to just look at what football is now. You know, look at look at the Super League. People have already forgotten about that. That was a few months ago. They, they don't care about us. He doesn't care. He's literally sitting there going, oh, it looks bad. Should I tell you why it looks bad? Because he's been on social media and someone said, yeah, whatever they've said, every name under the sun. And he's on. Oh, I feel sad. Okay, maybe I should apologise. He doesn't care. He's saying, "Oh, I've got a massive, massive uh, love for this club." Okay, well, if you say that, why do you say something else in the interview? You know, and it's not like it's mistranslated. The guy speaks perfect Italian. Speaks five languages. For a man that speaks five languages, you'd think he'd be a bit smarter. Oh, do you want to know something else funny about Robin Lukaku? He's got he's got a, a degree. I think it's like a high school degree, so it's not even a big degree. But still, you know, at twenty years of age in public relations. Sorry, am I am I an idiot? Like I'm sitting there, it's like you you, you want a certain level of, of you know belief in the person, but I'm like, do you know what? Like he just, he just doesn't care. He's picking up his wage packet and he's sitting there going, do you know what? I'm going to spend it on pasta. He's he's doing what I do. He's nipping down to Bar Italia on Fifth Street. He's like, I want a taste of Italy. That's where I'm going to go. He doesn't care. I, I, as much as we appreciate the respect, we want more respect. We ain't going to get it. So it's kind of just case we've got to sit there and suck it up, really, haven't we? Louis, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me.
Thanks, mate. Appreciate that. Louis Benevente there, the editor of the Chelsea Echo. Suck it's it safe up. to say he's not uh, <laughs> he's not sitting on the fence when it comes to Lukaku's actions. Good. I mean, let's let's talk about this a, a, a little bit. I mean, first and foremost, will do you think? Beyond the stuff of saying I'm not happy, obviously a lot of people have got a problem with the weight in that kind of thing. Do you think that's that's fair enough? Uh, no, not really, to be completely honest with you. I think it's one of those things where, especially not in the manner he did, and, and why Sky Italy? You know exactly what you're doing. It's not like he just put something out or, or anything like that. He went behind his agent's back, the club's back. You know, surely that's a conversation you have with Thomas Tuchel. I don't know whether he did or not, or, or Roman Abramovich even higher, or the director of football or someone like that. You, there's, there's ways of doing things as a footballer. And, and when you're in a privileged position, such as Romelu Lukaku is, you, you have to think about the people you're affecting. This isn't just affecting the squad at Chelsea. This isn't just affecting Thomas Tuchel. There's 50, 60 million Chelsea fans at least out there who are going to be absolutely... Well, you just heard Louis' view there, you know, who, who's absolutely frustra- so frustrated by what they're hearing. It, it's not, it's not, ju- it's not just justifiable at all for me. I think you've, there's, there's ways and means of doing things and he's completely overstepped the mark in, in a way that, for me, I, would, I, I, I think is unforgivable. But I mean, I would have said the same about Harry Kane six months ago, in fairness, and now he seems to be doing all right at Tottenham. So it's, it's one of those things, isn't it? Mike, what are your thoughts? Um, I just rhetorically ask you the question, what if Alex Ferguson had been a manager? Well, yeah. Have you just the fear? Uh, and, and that's how the game's changed. Though, yeah, and and, and and I and I personally, I was hugely respect for Tuchel for do- what he's done, mm. and uh, whether whether uh, I, I'm okay, I'm going to cast your mind back many many years ago when I was in the Royal Air Force. I was a manager of the football manager of the station team. Okay. And we were entering a, uh, a, a UK Cup for stations of similar level. Mm-hmm. Our best player. Uh, I also managed them as a Sunday league team. And we went and played in Sunday league, which was a brutal... <laughs> it, was, it was on the west side of Glasgow. Let oh, me explain. Wow. And, and much of it wasn't based around football. <laughs> and, and often often it was about where's the nearest casualty en route. You, you found that out beforehand. But, but uh, our best player was a uh, midfield player, superb. Uh, but he, he had red mist, red mist problems. So he, he got sent off in the match uh, in the local Sunday league. So I banned him from the competition. Wow. Uh, because of that, uh, we won. <laughs> there that you just go. made yeah, my point. Can... And then that made him, and that nothing, no one is bigger than the club. That's exactly and, it. And, and in a club, the, the manager represents the club and that's his responsibility. Uh, and it's still, even if it's changed and their coaches and all sorts, he is the person that makes the decision that what goes out in the park. We've got this wrong correlation between how much money you earn as to how much impact you have. But, but does this not go, all go back to Chelsea? This is my thing with it, is that I, I don't think a manager would do this to a club that didn't have, like, so a player would do this to a club that didn't have such a high manager turnover. It's a very good point, actually, because I was listening to Talksport the other day, and, and someone said something very similar, which is that you know, if you look at say how Pep Guardiola has done at Manchester City, if you look at what Klopp has done at Liverpool, both of those two have, have won the title, but they've they've done it, and they've been at the clubs each for about four or five years. Chelsea's managerial turnover is such that, in a sense, Romelu Lukaku, if he wasn't happy ultimately could just sit there and potentially wait out Thomas Tuchel because Chelsea's model is that they do get rid of the manager every sort of two, two and a half years. Some of them don't even last that long. And nobody's ever allowed to build 
anything really. Now, in certain cases, that might well be how they work. Jose Mourinho is, is famous for his sort of third season syndrome where it doesn't <laughs> quite work out and he moves on. Antonio Conte, similarly, doesn't tend to stick around at clubs for terribly long necessarily. But someone like Thomas Tuchel, he won you the Champions League when you were nowhere. If you actually just let the man build something and see whether or not it works, ultimately, he's not going to be at the Klopp stage of his journey within the space of, you know, a year, as it were. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because Lukaku was dropped for the Liverpool game, which was huge for both of those sides because they're so far away from Manchester City all of a sudden. But that was a big statement. And it's interesting because just off air, Mike, you compared it to what Arteta has done with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, stripped him of the captaincy. He's not featured since at all. Now, in his case, it appeared to be a repeated undermining of Arteta's authority. Um, but do we think this is what we want to see from managers actually stamping their authority Absol- on players? Absolutely, 100%. absolutely. It gives if if you're going to get someone to stay at a club, they've got to demonstrate the ability to say this is the team I want to put out and not to be dictated to. And if you look at Arsenal, their their stats have gone up dramatically since they dropped him. They scored better, they won better, etc., etc., etc. And it proves the point as it has with Chelsea tonight. It'll be interesting to see what happens and how Lukaku plays tonight. Uh, But I want to see that. I don't want to see wishy-washy managers who just roll over. Uh, The syndrome of of changing managers, we all know as as, as supporters, is wrong. Uh, And you need consistency allowing someone to build. Look what happened to Ferguson when he took over Manchester United. They were nearly relegated. They stuck with him. And look what he ended up with. Mm -hmm. And that's the consistency you get, which they've now got with Klopp and Guardioli. Not just the fact they're the great managers, but because they've been allowed to build. Absolutely right. I, th- I think that's that's bang on, and that that sums it all up exactly in terms of it. Managers don't do it anymore, and, and it, it goes back exactly to what you said that Lukaku can wait out Tuchel. That's a genuine possibility for him if he wanted to, especially if he was a little bit younger. My biggest issue with it, just focusing solely on the Lukaku situation is this isn't his first time at Chelsea. He was there as a as a youngster. They they gave him a break and giving taking you know putting him on loan to West Brom, where he really found his feet. To Everton for a little while, where they eventually sold him. They you know obviously he went he went on to Manchester United and to Inter. This is his, almost like a, it feels like a third time round at Chelsea. You think regardless of what you think of Tuchel, regardless of the time you had at Inter Milan, he could have had the best time ever at Inter Milan. I'd, I'd pizza every day, whatever he wanted. I, I don't know what what the diet's like in Italy, but regardless, he he could have done he could have had the best time ever. The respect you have for the club that. Not only pays your wages now, astronomical wages, it's worth mentioning, um, but the, the team that give you pretty much everything, that give you your break in professional football, to the fact to the point, I don't think he'd even been it into Milan if Chelsea hadn't given him that initial break. The, the, the lack of respect is what does it for me. So regardless of whether he rates Tuchel or, or whoever, it, it's, it's, a, it's a respect thing. And for me, I, I just don't see how that would be something you could just get over. I don't really see how he's in the starting lineup tomorrow. If that, if that was, in my opinion, if, if and this is why fans don't run football clubs, he'd be on the transfer list first thing in the morning. I'd say go back then if that's what you want so badly because you, he's, he's completely undermined everything at Chelsea. I think you, you mean the game tonight, don't Sorry, you? Sorry, yes, of course. Yeah. And he is in the starting yes, lineup yeah, exactly. instantly. As I said, he was dropped for the Liverpool game He's since been fined the astronomical wages, which are reported to be somewhere in the region of £375,000 a week. Final question for both of you. Neither of you earning £375,000 a week, I might ask, but this is, this is the question nonetheless. This 
is now a bit of a situation. Tuchel, you said you weren't sure if he'd, if he'd spoken to him about it before. I'm pretty confident he, he hadn't because when I watched the press conference, he was utterly broadsided by this suddenly happening in front of his eyes. <laughs> this It was like a fire had broken out in the press conference room out of nowhere and nobody seemed to know quite what to do about it. And it, it kind that. of, and it wasn't, it wasn't of his own making either. Now that Lukaku has posted this apology, do we expect that to be the end of this? Not for me. No, no, <laughs> this, no, this I, don't, I don't. Not uh, with the, It's very timely with the January transfer. How, though, how sincere? Yeah, that's yeah. The, that's I mean, the, 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 again, that's just a rhetorical comment on the fact that the sincerity is based around it needs must. Mm. No, and um, and at the end of the season, what will Abramovich do? I don't know. I mean, if he's if he's sensible, he'll keep him, keep the manager. Mm. And that's isn't that the ridiculous thing we're actually talking about? Whether the manager's position is the manager who won the Champions League Quite in the summer. Ago, but yeah. the thing about football management, in my opinion, and and never I think has there been a case of this more clear than Ranieri at Leicester. Football management is ultimately a job of what have you done for me lately. Mm. Um, irrespective of whether you <laughs> win the you Premier League with a, a highly unfancied team who narrowly avoided relegation the season before, it, which was... Let I mean, me cut his trousers off for him's sake. <laughs> the odds were 5,000 to 1, but Ranieri was sacked the next season. And, yeah. and therein it, it lies it. As they say in the Damned United, the one that everyone can do without the manager. So <laughs> we will see. Lukaku starts in Chelsea's squad tonight for the first leg of their Carabao Cup semi-final at Stamford Bridge. It will be interesting certainly to see how the fans react to him. We will keep you abreast also of the score in that game should anything happen while we remain on air. A quick wrap of the other notable stories that have emerged over the last couple of days. The first leg of Liverpool's Carabao Cup semi-final against Arsenal. That has now been postponed due to an outbreak of COVID at the Anfield Club um, which has been described as severe. The Reds temporarily closed their first team training centre last week after assistant manager Pep Linders became the latest person to have to isolate. The game will now be played at Anfield on the 13th of January. Elsewhere, Newcastle United have agreed a £12 million fee to side England international Kieran Trippier from Atletico Madrid. It's understood he'll have a medical with the club on Wednesday and Juventus boss Massimiliano Allegri has described Aaron Ramsey as an outgoing player. Reports yesterday said that Ramsey had rejected a formal approach by Burnley as he wanted to join a more high-profile Premier League side. (laughs) Wouldn't we all like to join a more high-profile Premier League side? I'd be happy with Sean Dyche, but there you are. Right, that concludes our Hot Topic section. Up next, get your tweet or get ready to tweet your fury because it's unpopular opinion. The Football Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. You're tuned in to The Football Show on Extra Time, or rather The Football Show on River Radio, which is Extra Time. That's our name, and being unpopular is about to become our game, as we debut a new feature called Unpopular Opinion. This is where we debate an opinion that at first glance might seem ridiculous, but at least one panellist will attempt to argue that it does hold water if you take a closer look. Designed expressly with Will Taylor in mind, (laughs) it seems only fitting that the first Unpopular Opinion we discuss is his and this week it concerns Aston Villa will tell us your unpopular opinion right I need you to bear with me for this one I really do as, as all unpopular opinions I will need you to Steven Gerrard's job the job he's done at Aston Villa is already better than what Dean Smith achieved with the club during his reign 
right? And bear with me, because I know what you're thinking. Dean Smith got them promoted. He laid the foundations, everything like that. Just go through that team that he got promoted with from the championship. Just bear with me for a second. All I will say is that Chelsea are 1-0 up against Spurs. Kai Havertz in the fifth minute. Pray continue. What's Lukaku then? That's Correct. Very, very tactical to break up my unpopular opinion as you did. The team that Dean Swift got promoted with from the championship, right? Tyrone Mings, Premier League level centre-half. Tammy Abraham, Chelsea, Chelsea striker, now at AS Roma. Jack Grealish, the most expensive English player that's, that's played the game. Axel Twanzebe. Axel Twanzebe, a very, very capable level, level player at centre-half in the Premier League. John McGinn ended up being a fantastic player. Um, Ahmed Al-Mohamedi superb right back even Jed Steer who was a solid solid goalkeeper at the time the t- his job his sort of status was maximised by not well ha- not how well he did the job but how poorly Steve Bruce did it before him that's what maximised just how the, the incredible job that Dean Smith did Dean Smith then did, then did something very astute and very clever he built the team around Jack Grealish so don't berate him for that but in, when Jack Grealish left this summer you could see the dread on Dean Smith's face purely because he, he was found out. That was it. That was it for him. And it was made, you know, it's time Danny Ings, brilliant Premier League striker. Leon Bailey, proven at one of the highest levels in Europe. Buendia, wanted by a lot more teams than Manchester, than, than um, Aston Villa. And, and incredibly, incredible in a very, very, very poor Norwich team, right? Then look at what Steven Gerrard said about that team. So Dean, Dean Smith with that team had them battling relegation. No getting away from that. They were very, very much in a relegation fight. Look at them now. Look at the wins they've had and look at the way... Even they go to Anfield, they play Liverpool, one of the very, very best teams in the Premier League, and they battle them. And they, they almost, to be honest, very unlucky to come away with a loss. The, the result against Palace, for example, Ed, not, didn't play fantastically in it, but ground out a result against you. And that is the difference not between... Not me personally. No, not you personally, <laughs> of course. And that is the difference between Dean Smith and Stephen Gerrard and why already he has beaten what Dean Smith did there. It was, it was glorified by poor management before and Stephen Gerrard is already doing a better job than Dean Smith did. Uh, it's, it's, certainly, it's certainly an interesting opinion. I'll give you that one. And suffice to say in this studio, I think it might be a touch unpopular. I like how you've, you, just, you have glossed over and simplified, you know, yeah. Yeah, he got them promoted. Well, I mean, that in itself is 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 more it's easier is easier said the than done. Head. It was a it was a good team. I'll give you that. To be clear, Stephen Gerrard came in with a two 0 win over Brighton. He's won four games and he's lost four games. Granted, the four games he has lost have been to Man City, Liverpool, unlucky in that one as well, Chelsea, and Brentford, which does appear to be a slight blot on that a bl- a particular bl- copybook. One question I would like to ask you because we're rapidly running out of time here. Where does the phrase "new manager" bounce yeah, figure that's in? Just, that's your, where I'm at. Uh, in your opinion, okay. So, new manager bounce, absolutely fair comment. In terms of beating your your Brightons, your teams like that, your Crystal Palace is no disrespected. New manager bounce, some disrespected. <laughs> new manager <laughs> bounce does not cons- does not. New manager bounce is all about results, not performances. And performances against those four teams that you've just listed, Bra Brentford, okay, I stick my hands up, that's not a great result for them. The way they played against Man City, they should have got a point. They were very unlucky with a contentious Premier League, uh, with a, a contentious penalty decision against Liverpool. And the, the Chelsea game, until Lukaku comes on, is a fair fight. And I, I think in a, in a different world, they, they probably could have gone on to win that as well. The, the new manager bounce, I, I understand the first two or three games. What I don't understand is the level of performance they're putting in and how much that's improved under a tactic-less, clueless Dean Smith. I think that's a, that's a very harsh allegation. And sadly, we probably don't have sufficient time in order 
to uh, debate it in full. We might have to pick this up again, probably <laughs> in the pub just after we uh, we come off air. What I will say is, is for me, you know, if you look at the teams he's beaten, if we're to take the new manager bounce thing, he's beaten Brighton, who weren't in good form. He's beaten Palace. That's quite a good result, but we were very poor, but they beat us. He's beaten a Leicester side that are totally uh, off the off the scale in terms of where we expect them to be versus where they are and he's beaten Norwich who were awful would Dean um, Smith have got those results? Uh, it's a good question and, and quite possibly not the way he was going however what I will say is that Dean Smith I think um, probably and, and in support dare I say slightly of your argument I don't think it's a coincidence that now that both Jack Grealish and Dean Smith have gone for me Dean Smith leaving was the ultimate way to draw a line under that team and that team was based and built around Jack Grealish as uh, as someone said to me when you replace Jack Grealish with three players your front three players that's three players worth of displacement and there's no connections between them and you're relying on them to score the goals it's been great to chat to you both we'll unfortunately have to park that particular <laughs> chat here I've been uh, very uh, entertained by both of you thank you so much to Mike and to Will this has been Extra Time we hope